Um, it is a joy for me to welcome David Mustard. Um, he will be teaching us during this culminating time together. David has recently been promoted to dad of not four, but five beautiful boys. Um, he and his wife, Nikki, serve in kingdom work throughout West Michigan and beyond. Uh, David has been um, gifted with the privilege of teaching and then leading as director of faith formation at Holland Christian Schools for 16 years. Um, during that time, he really authentically lived into who God created him to be, um, and that is a source of hope in hardship. He has been light in darkness. He is also um, very silly um, in the serious times. Um, he's passionate about being a good dad and husband to his family, to being a friend to those who do life together, um, and to helping people see the light of Jesus Christ. Um, I'm also grateful to humbly say that David is a friend of mine, um, and time with him is always a tremendous blessing. So David, thank you for coming, and let's welcome him warmly. Well, I gotta say, it is, it is a joy of my life to stand in front of this group. Uh, when I taught Bible, um, I would, and, and then sometimes church history, I would be invariably at some point talking about like predestination and election, and that's a lot for you know, high schoolers to grasp or for a 41-year-old to grasp. And invariably someone would ask, well, how do you know? How do you know who the elect are? And I said, come to closing worship at CEA. Those are the true <laughs> elect. Look around, yeah. I don't know if you're clapping at the joke or the reality of like, all right, that's us. And you're looking around and saying, mm, makes sense that he's not here. Anyway, um, no, that's terrible. My grandma would say that sputten, I think, if she were here listening. Uh, some of you know what that word is. But in all honesty, it is this, like, there is not a better group or a group that I hold in higher regard in my heart than, than these people. Who you are and what you do. Not only in the life, again, Miss Gazette, I have five kids. They're not all old enough. One's three months old, but I'm trying to get them to school quickly because being a stay-at-home dad is a lot of work. Um, but what you do for and with my kids and for and with us as we partner with you is just an absolute gift. And it's not just a gift that is personally held. It is a gift that is kingdom-wide, that you are building the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven in everything that you do. So there's a lot of things that we could talk about here in this closing moment to equip his body or, or equip his people in building his body. And I'm just realizing by the highlighted words, I bet you can guess what the closing sketchy word is. Just a thought. Um, stay put, though, because you're part of the elect, and that's what you do. Um, <laughs> the, I, there's no more equipped group than you. You, you, you have already been a part of something. I, I was thinking about redoing my whole talk here and just reading my notes from the, the first keynote because I was, I was so equipped to wrestle with and think about and engage with ways in which, again, God, through his spirit and the death and resurrection of Jesus, have hearkened us to his good work. And, and there's, but I don't know if 
I could equip you with anything. Instead, I just want to build you up or encourage you or simply just remind you of how awesome you are and the gift that you are to the students, to the parents, even though a lot, they don't realize that sometimes, and to the community and the kingdom at large. You are a gift. So know that my hope is simply that we might be encouraged by the Spirit here together. I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Um, this is me uh, and my mom. It's an older picture. You could probably tell by her glasses um, that it's a little bit older of a photo. Um, so yeah, this is when I was born. Uh, so it's going to take a little while to get through my history, but we'll start here. And actually, this then is, this is my mom with my uh, fourth child. I almost said youngest. He's not my youngest anymore. Uh, but this was with my fourth son. He's, that's Peter. He's three now. But this, this picture was taken like three months or so before my mom passed away. I'm not really an emotional person. <laughs> that part wasn't the joke. Apparently some Holland Christian staff members are in the room. I am, I'm sorry, I am. Um, she passed away from a, a rare form of dementia. And, well, I was in Jerusalem when she passed away. In a hotel room. And that was hard. I was a long way away. When I got home, I met with my dad, my wife, my sister, and my brother-in-law. We were talking about the funeral service. My dad said, do you want to talk? Uh, I talk a lot uh, in general, but also in front of people. And I, I sat there and I said, I, I don't think so. Maybe it was the, the moment, or maybe it was my mom, or maybe it was the distance that I felt, and it just wanted to be together, sitting. And so I didn't. I didn't talk at her funeral. But I was a recipient of the eulogies of my mom over and over again from people that came through to, to say words of hope and encouragement, light in the darkness that we were in. They told stories about how she taught them how to play the piano. And they still play they play in their church and they play in their Christian school. They told stories of how she, when they planted, when my parents planted a church, she was the leader of the worship team and they just loved how much fun they had together. They told stories of her volunteering at the Holland Rescue Mission in teaching some Sunday school classes. Not a single person told me about my mom's degrees that she had received or the grades she got in school. It became increasingly apparent that there was a stark difference between a eulogy and a resume. I think for many of us, as we think about our content and what we get to do in the classrooms every day, we are working really hard at helping our students to eventually build a resume 
to be able to go out into the world and to get a job into the areas in which God has equipped them to do. And that is all right and true, and we need to do that because God has gifted them with special skills and special passions and desires that will feed into a world that needs that moment, that person in that space. But I think the difference between education and Christian education is we're also helping our students write their own eulogies. Because they're in your classroom, they're becoming a particular kind of people. Of people that are rooted in the hope and love of a triune God whose grace sustains long after your classroom. They're they're being accrued into the likeness of Jesus because they're walking around and they're seeing you be the likeness of Jesus. You're helping your students today write their eulogies that will hopefully be read in 80, 90 years at their funeral. That's a gift. And that's what you're doing. That's what my kids' teachers are doing to them. When they come home, they're telling me stories, sure, of the things in which they've learned, but also about the person who was teaching it to them and how they saw Jesus in them. For much of my career, I spent it in this room. This is the auditorium at Holland Christian High School. I worked in the theater department for many years and then also in the chapel program, and I love this space. It's my favorite room in the building. It was one afternoon after a rehearsal of a show that we were getting ready for, for a travel competition for theater. You know, competition theater normal things that y'all have done. And, and it was between Thanksgiving and Christmas, so it's kind of like we got to really get it together to put all the polishing parts together after Christmas before we go on the road with this thing. And so we're trying to get all this together. But I had one student that wasn't coming to rehearsal on time, skipped last week and went skiing on Saturday with the friends when we were supposed to have our big tech run. And it was, it, they weren't coming with their lines memorized or blocking known. And I was getting frustrated. So this is, this is not what, how we're supposed to work as a team. So I said, hey, can you stick around after rehearsal? I'd like to chat with you. Sure, yeah, yeah. So we actually sit down at the table and chairs that are part of the scenic design of the show that we were doing. This is a picture of a chapel program that I found on Holland Christian's website. So you know what that is. I don't really know. Well, I do know what's happening, but anyway. That's not this story. That's just the location we're in. And so there we sit in, in, in a table and chairs on a big stage. And I said, what's going on? Right? Like, it, this isn't you. You're not prepared. You were gone. What's going on? And they started like, well, you know, there's a lot going on. You know, I want to go skiing with my friends. I'm like, I don't care. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to understand. I'm just not getting anywhere. And I don't know where this question came from. But I just said, you know, what's one thing about you? that most people don't know, but you wish more people knew. And they lost it. And they're weeping across the table in the scenic design. I'm thinking, oh no, what have I done? Finally, they compose themselves. And they share with me that it's at this time between Thanksgiving and Christmas that just a few years prior, 
it came to light that many members of their family were the victims of sexual abuse by their grandfather. I thought, oh man, what have I done? They start sharing how this has divided the family from victims to those who can't believe he would ever do anything like that. And then the student just blurted out, I don't know who I can trust, and I can't count on anything. Floundering for words, I just looked down, and for some reason that day, I was wearing this. Wearing a white shirt and tie. Now, at this stage in Holland Christian's history, if you wore a tie to school, it meant one thing. You didn't have a lesson plan. <laughs> That's like most of the comments you would get coming into school. Like, no lesson plan today, huh? Now, that was probably true, but I, so I don't know why I was wearing a, a white shirt and tie that day, but I just looked up and I looked at that student and said, I'm so sorry. We can count on this. I'm going to come to school tomorrow in a white shirt and a tie. And I did. And the next day, and the next day, and then it was the weekend, and Monday I came to school in a white shirt and tie. For the next weeks, months, and for the last 10 years of my career. Now, that's not really that big of a deal. One kid knew what I was doing, and then they graduated, and I still thought, this is actually a really convenient wardrobe choice. <laughs> I don't think at all when I get dressed. Turns I don't think when I get dressed anyway, but this was the least school appropriate. You're showing up in your classrooms every day, and in small ways, in large ways, you are showing your students the faithfulness of God, or in much more profound ways than simple wardrobe. But there are ways that students are watching you, and they're seeing Jesus in you, and they're getting a glimpse of what it looks like to be a disciple of him because of you. I bet if we sat here and thought about all the ways, we could come up with a very long list of simply standing at the doorway welcoming your students or knowing their name as quickly as you possibly can or remembering that prayer request that they boldly shared in class and following up a week later saying, how's your grandma doing after that fall? It's those ways that you are equipping the next generation of Jesus' followers to build his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. I just did it with a lazy wardrobe decision. So keep going. Keep finding those spaces that you have, are doing that already. It was actually the summer... Uh, before that moment, that one of my best friends from high school was getting married in Grand Marais, Minnesota. That's on the northern shores of Lake Superior. It's about 13 hours from Holland, Michigan. Because it was one of our friends, many of us were all going to the wedding, and we were the wedding party. And so we thought the only logical decision is to all ride together. Well, we didn't have a vehicle that we could do that in, but thankfully, Craigslist was a new thing. 
So we jumped on Craigslist and we found ourselves a little 22 passenger school bus for sale here in Grand Rapids for $1,000. And we thought, surely this should be able to drive north 13 hours with the whole wedding party. And, and a miracle had actually made it. There we uh, stopped at a rest stop where there was a giant elephant, so we thought we should get our picture taken in front of it. Um, I don't know what's happening in this other than just us, but there's the, that little bus. Some of you in the room actually rode in this thing to a CEA once in South Bend. We had a disco ball in it too. It was great. Uh, two hours into the trip, the muffler fell off, so it got real loud. We just shouted at each other the whole time. They got married on 4th of July. And so this was also then the vehicle we decided to take the wedding, full wedding party from the wedding to the reception. Because why wouldn't you? It's beautiful. Being 4th of July, the decorations that the convenience stores in Grand Marais, Minnesota had were only red, white, and blue. So that's what we used. And we decorated this little guy all out in red, white, and blue. And so we get in the bus and we start moving from the wet. This is my Kramer impersonation, if you know that scene. Um, now I'm driving the bus. And, and we make our way from the wedding to the reception. And suddenly, as we get closer, we see that the road up ahead is closed. And we're like, it wasn't closed earlier. So as we're getting closer, we realize it's not for construction, it's for a parade. And we figure, oh. <laughs> seem to be decorated for this. So a couple of buddies hop out, move the barricade, I pull the bus in line, and they get back on. We put the bride and groom in the door, open it up, they just kept waving to people as we made our way through the parade route. It was excellent. Nobody questioned us. Like, I mean, I guess that belongs. So often, I think, in my classroom, if I reflect back on my teaching practices, I ask students to think about how Jesus mattered in a particular content or moment or lesson. Or even maybe beyond just thinking about it, I ask them to believe it. To know deep in their souls what Christ has done and for them and through them and to them. And so therefore as an outpouring of that belief, they too are supposed to be a particular kind of people. I think there's only a few moments though that I ask them to join the story. See, I could think about a parade, and parades are fun. Unless you live in Holland, they get kind of old. But <laughs> parades are awesome. They're so much fun, and they're even more fun to take little kids to now that I have children. Parades are so fun, and it's maybe fun to think about one. It's even fun to sit on the side and be witness to one. But it's a totally different ballgame to join the parade. Recently, I, we, my family and I moved from Holland to the big city, Grand Rapids. And in our moving, we, we you know, started sharing with a faculty that I love and respect and adore at Holland Christian. And that was hard to say goodbye to. We, had, we shared it with close friends in the area, and we shared it with our neighbors. Now, I grew up in the country, so I didn't have neighbors. And it took me by complete surprise how difficult and heart-wrenching it was to tell our neighbors that we were moving because we love them. And we had grown really close to many of them. 
soon after we had shared this news, uh, one of our neighbors across the street, mid-upper 70s, lower 80s, called from their landline and said, you know, hey, we've got something for you. Can we come over? Sure. And suddenly we see coming down the sidewalk and across the street, here they come with 9 by 13 in hand. And we're like, all right, it's going to be good. So, so we're chatting outside, and then she says, hey, let's just go inside and we'll put this in your dish so we don't have to, you know, get the dish back to me later. Very practical, right? That's a, that's a good CRC lady right there. And, you know, she's across the street. It's not hard, but we'll go with it. So I'm like, okay. So I go inside with her, and I pull out a 9 by 13, and she takes the cover off from her dish, and this was what is inside half a cake. <laughs> like after she went outside, this is now, this is in my dish. We've transferred it to my dish now. And, but I was like, this is hilarious. And when she opens it up, she says, we took our portion. I was like, <laughs> you did. I see that. I see that you did that, which is great, right? Because we didn't need a full cake. She didn't need a full cake. This is the way we should do it. <laughs> right, this is, this is so great. I was like, oh, thanks. I take half that cake. It'll fit easier into our 9 by 13 than didn't have to be exactly the right size. I wonder if, when, in my teaching, if I've simply asked my students to think about how it relates to their faith or even to believe that it does, if I'm giving them half a cake. There's nothing wrong with half a cake. But what happens when we take it that next step and we ask them to join the story of God's restoration work today? Not after. We are not preparing them. We are hearkening them today to be kingdom builders, to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords and bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven today. Sometimes my kindergartner son can do that way better than his 41-year-old dad can do. His heart has not been calloused. His courage is not squelched, but instead his boldness and love of Jesus is doing just that. Give your kids the whole cake on Monday morning. I can say that to you because I know you are. You're tirelessly working, sometimes too hard, and you're giving our students the opportunity to engage with the Holy Spirit because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. You're building his kingdom. But some of our kids that we're sitting across the table from, and life is hard. It was on a Tuesday afternoon. It was at the first week of school was getting underway. And we only had three kids in the house at this time. Our oldest had gone off to school. Our second was going to be starting preschool, which started two weeks later. He'd be starting next week. And our youngest was about 20 months old. And on this Tuesday, we would have, uh, on Tuesdays, we would have somebody come into our home and take care of our kids. As my wife is a teacher and I was a teacher, and we'd go to work and we, someone would come and take care of our kids. And they were the best. But on this day, when my wife got home, she had gotten home before me, she, she told me when I got home 
that, oh yeah, Alonzo fell um, earlier today, I guess, that when our babysitter was preparing lunch in the, in the, in the kitchen, that our two youngest at the time, Alonzo and Abbott, were playing in the living room. And all of a sudden she heard Alonzo cry, so she went there, picked him up, and he was, he was okay after a while, and he was fine if she just held him. He wanted to be held, that's for sure. If he, she held him, he was fine. If she moved him, he was definitely, he would cry and he was uncomfortable, but then he would be okay. He got tired, it was nap time, so she laid him down for a nap, and he was still sleeping when I got home, which was a little longer than one would expect. I heard him cry and wake up, so I went upstairs to get him, and I picked him up out of his crib, and oh yeah, you could tell, he was, he was uncomfortable. So I went downstairs in the living room, and I laid him down to change his diaper, and I could tell that his leg was definitely puffier, it was warm to the touch, and he was uncomfortable. So through calling the doctor's office, they're like, just go to the ER. We're going to send you there to get x-rays anywhere. Just go to the ER and get it checked out. So I put Alonzo in the car, and we go to the ER. They get x-rays. The doc comes back in and says, yeah, he's got a spiral fracture on his femur. And I'm like, what? As far as we can tell, because when we asked our three-year-old, Abbott, what happened? He said, he falled. And I was like, yeah, I think he falled. I think so. I think that's probably what happened there. As much as we can guess, as they were playing on the couch, he got his foot between the cushions, lost his balance, twisted, fell off, and broke his femur. I thought that was a hard one. So the doc says, well, we can't do anything really here. You're going to have to go to DeVos, and he's going to have to get a spiker cast. If you know what that is, it means ankles to armpit. And so, we're like, so what we have to, we'll splint it to make it more comfortable. And then they said this, and you're going to have to hold them down. And I was like, what? Don't you have people for this? Like trained people? <laughs> so I get my armpit over his chest, and I hold his arms over his head as they try to splint him, and he is just screaming in pain. Right, I'm dad, and I'm like, oh, buddy, it's going to be okay. You know, it's going to be okay. And then I looked into those big brown eyes, and I got an insight into his psyche. And he's like, no, it ain't. <laughs> like, this is terrible. Have you ever broken your femur, Dad? I don't think so. So as I watched tears stream down his face and puddle in the back of his ears, I changed my vocabulary. I love you. I love you. I'm right here. I'm right here. And as I pressed my forehead onto his, I didn't tell him what the future, I didn't know really if it would be okay. But I was right there. And I love him. You need to hear that. I was just listening to a podcast yesterday from the Cult of Pedagogy by Jennifer Gonzalez. She was saying that all metrics are telling us that this is the hardest year to be a teacher ever. I don't need to convince you. It's weird, because like 2020 should have been. Why now? I don't know. But you need to hear the spirit of the living God. 
come forehead to forehead with you and says, I love you. I'm right here. I love you. Monday morning, you're going to walk into a classroom. And those kids are going to be sitting in your room. That's all they need to hear. They need you to show up and be a faithful witness to the love of Jesus Christ and help them write their eulogies. Come with me here. It's an ancient city in the area of Macedonia. It's named, actually, for Alexander the Great's father. But it's most probably known and important because it was the site of a decisive battle in Roman history. After the death and the assassination of Julius Caesar, forces were feuding over who was going to rule and how they were going to reign in the Roman Empire. And it was here that the battle between the, the forces of Cassius and Brutus fought against Octavian and Mark Antony. And Octavian's army was victorious, which paved the road for his future coronation as Caesar Augustus. And so this town became a colony, a colony of Rome, which Rome had a few of these around the Roman Empire. This one was unique because after that decisive battle, it went through major renovation, and it was built up to look just like Rome. It was like a mini Rome. The streets were to look the same, the temples, the theaters, the Colosseum. All of it was supposed to look like you stepped into a miniature Rome, this colony of Rome. This is the city of Philippi. Philippi, a place where the Apostle Paul had gone and wrote himself a letter. And it's to this colony of Romans, a people whose citizenship was not actually listed as Philippi, but their citizen was actually listed as Rome itself. To those people, the Apostle Paul says, your citizenship is in heaven. Now, the word citizenship is an interesting Greek word. It's the Greek word polentima. And it can be translated as citizenship. Usually, it's translated as community or a community of citizens. Or, as some translations into English uh, translate it as colony. For you are a colony of heaven. And you are. Oh, yes, that surely means that when we die, and I have the full assurance that when I die, I will be reunited with my mom. But this statement is much more than that. That wherever you are, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the indwelling of his spirit, that y'all together are a colony of heaven. We are to be like, act like, enact the very nature of heaven on earth. And that's your classroom. You could put over the door of your room, and not just because it's words on the page or on the outside of our building as we heard yesterday morning. That's not enough. 
but to actually be the nature and character of Jesus Christ, living faithful in ways that are far beyond a simple wardrobe choice. You're enacting it and you're making like a little colony of heaven right there. And it's because you're coming forehead to forehead with your students and you're right there. Because outside, it's too much. They are feeling the chaos of this world at an age that is too much. But they come into your class and they get heaven. I don't know if it's going to be okay for all of those kids. I don't know that. It will be for most of them. It was for Alonzo. Here he is in his armpits to ankles. Isn't the kid gorgeous? Diapering, that's a doozy. Um, <laughs> his teacher's here, and you wouldn't know it. Right? Years later, we had to go and get x-rays to see if the growth plate, I don't know what those words mean, I'm just repeating what the doctor said, uh, and everything looked fine. So, turns out, when I said it's going to be okay, it, it, it would have been, but that's not what he needed or what I needed in that moment. And maybe it's not what your students need either. And maybe it's not what you need either. But he's faithful. And he's faithful through you. It was a different Tuesday morning in Gander, Newfoundland. Gander Academy was having its first day of school. And Gander Academy has about 400 students. It's a town of about 9,000. What's interesting about Gander, Newfoundland, is that just outside the city is an airport, and it's a really, really big airport. It was once the largest airport in North America, in Gander, 9,000 people. That's because before the invention of the jet, planes had to land in Gander, Newfoundland to refuel so they could go anywhere else as they were going transatlantic. And on this particular Tuesday morning, as school, the school year was starting for them, the school bus drivers were on strike. So the school year didn't start necessarily the way that they were hoping to. But the day took an even more dramatic turn is because that day was September 11th, 2001. Gander Airport, which at that time took in about six airplanes a day. At the closure of U.S. airspace because of the terrorist attacks in New York and Washington, D.C. and in Pennsylvania, Gander took in 38 planes and 7,000 people were now displaced in Gander, Newfoundland. The town rallied. Some people spent 28 hours on that airplane because they were not allowed to get off when no one knew what airplane was also armed as the next threat. So as National Guard and uh, the Canadian Army mobilized in order to check the 7,000 passengers of these airplanes, they all just sat on board. This was before smartphones. The smartest phone was a Nextel.
So these people sitting on these planes, all they heard was when the pilot turned on the address that President Bush gave to the nation. That's what they knew. And they saw none of it. School bus drivers came off strike and began transporting these 7,000 people to shelters around Gan in Gander and around. If you're one of those people that got Apple TV Plus so you could watch Ted Lasso, you're in luck because there's a musical about this. And for my musical theater fans, you already knew this whole story. He's like, I've seen the show. Um, come from away. It's beautiful. And it's on Apple TV Plus, so you can watch this at home tonight. As they get off, and, Ga and Gander Academy takes in 700 of these people into their school after the first day, this is the song that plays. Welcome to Gander Academy. I'm going to show you now to your rooms, and then if you want to come back, we've got two TVs set up in the cafeteria with the news on, so you can see what's actually happened for yourself. I didn't even think. They haven't seen any of it yet. Lead us out of the dark. We're all staring at those images. And we just stand helpless watching them. Lead us somewhere to safety. We barely know where we are, but we know it's not there. Lead us far from disaster. Charles Burlingham was the captain of Flight 77 that crashed into the Pentagon. I just saw him at a pub in London. You can't imagine. A pilot will fight to the ends of the earth to save his airplane. He just will. Lead us out of the night. We watched those images for hours. <gasps> until someone finally turns it off. On Monday morning, a group of students are going to show up in your classroom. It's not Gander Academy, but it's your little colony of heaven. Some of them need you to go forehead to forehead with them. But I bet many of them need you to turn off the TV. The chaos is too much. And for you, I hope and pray that just by gathering together that we have been built up as his body. And for a moment, the TV got turned off and you were led out of the darkness. But on Monday, show up as a faithful representative of Messiah Jesus and build those kids up. Turn off the TV. Lead them out of the darkness and be right there and love them well. Our first speaker quoted from Hamilton, so so will I. <laughs> Look around. Look around. How lucky it is. How lucky we are to be alive right now. I might have to convince myself of that one. But you, in your classroom, in your school, and in your community, you are there for such a time as this. And he will give you 
everything you need to worship King and build his kingdom. Would you stand with me, please? Justin was right. There ain't no choir like a Christian educator choir. I'd like to sing with you. I'd like to sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise him, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. For it is a gift. It is a gift to do what we do in service to the King. We're going to take our time singing this song, so get some good breath support. (laughs) And sing along, because you don't want to hear me sing a solo. Praise God from whom all blessings Father, how right and true it is and our joyful duty to humbly bow ourselves before your throne of grace and offer you all that we are and all that we hope to be. It is in your sovereign good pleasure that we commit ourselves as you through your spirit come forehead to forehead with us, assuring us of your great love for us that we might then teach with an agenda of love, sharing the love of Christ through the Spirit to our students, that we might be a small picture of heaven for them and with them. So for these people, Father, you know what is on their heart and what they stand in need of, and in some supernatural way and in some very visceral way, I pray you meet them where they're at so that they might be filled up. So now to him, that is Jesus, who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious throne without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Father be glory, honor, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, who is before all ages. He is now and he will be forevermore. Amen.